I can do this. I'm not sure I know back months ago that what I was getting myself into to ask to preach on my farewell Sunday. <laughs> but I'm really excited and I'm thankful to Tim and uh, Jeff for giving me this opportunity because this is what I live for. This topic is a passion of mine. You know, and I think uh, if someone were to write a book about my years here, I think it might be titled The Case of the Pastor Who Figured Out that he didn't really understand the gospel. Now, I was a kid in the youth group that we all cheer about and say, yay, we've got a success story. I accepted Christ as a child, went to church every week, and then went off to a Christian college and even majored in Bible. And then I stayed longer, paid extra, and got another degree in Bible. I came here as a pastor, but then, then I ran into this Christian thinker who rocked my world. He asked a question that turned everything upside down. You know that feeling when everything you think you know begins to unravel before your eyes, but you're in too deep to go back? Well, that's a pathway that God leads a lot of his people on. And actually, that crisis was a gift from God. And by the way, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. And I want this to happen to you as well this morning. Because I discovered, guys, I discovered that the gospel is way bigger and more wonderful than I could have dared to believe. So if you don't mind, um, I just encourage uh, us, let's just pray one more time. Let's invite God's presence here. Would you do that? In fact, if you wouldn't mind, um, put your, maybe put your palms up in a posture of receiving. And let's just go to God and ask him to be here with us this morning. So let's pray. So Father, once again, we come into your presence. And God, you're so good. And we know that your Bible says that you're here, but God, sometimes if we were honest, it feels like you're distant. So God, I pray that your spirit would be here in a way today that we could feel. We want to sense your presence. So Father, send your spirit. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Speak to us. It's all to honor the name of Jesus, amen, amen. Well, so last week I just got back from a vacation. And uh, these friends of mine have really good friends in California, and they invited me to their family trip to Big Sur. Now, you've probably heard of Big Sur, right? It's this section of the California coast between Santa Barbara and Carmel, where these huge 4,000-foot mountains just crash abruptly into the ocean. And then there's Highway 1, this two-lane road, this little road that kind of hugs in the cliff. And sometimes it's up high, and then sometimes it's down by the water. And many people say it's the most scenic drive in the entire world. Well, about 15 years ago, I did that drive all in one day, about five hours, and it was great. So, but when my friends asked me to come with them, I thought, yeah, I've kind of been there and done that. And I, I wasn't sure that I really wanted to take the days to do that. But my friends insisted. And I say, you really, you really have not experienced it until you park your car and hike up into the mountains. So I said, what the heck? And I joined them. And I parked my car, and I got on a trailhead, and I started walking and sweating and looking around and getting out in nature and feeling the unique plant life brush against my leg. Nothing, nothing can compare to hiking those cliffs and feeling the ocean breeze and hearing the wa- waves crash in a distance. And the views, oh, they're epic. 
And the higher you climb, the better it gets. And I thought, you guys, I thought I knew Big Sur by driving through and looking at it from the inside of my car. And I guess, I guess I probably experienced a form of it, but I didn't really experience it at all. And the reason I take time to share my vacation with you is because I think it's a lot like my spiritual life. You know, for years, I thought I knew what life with God was like. And then I discovered that the form of Christianity that I had was only like viewing God through the windshield. I was missing the best parts of experiencing him. You see, when I started here as a youth pastor, um, I was so full of zeal for God, and it was so exciting. In the first few years, I wanted so badly to achieve for God. I had, uh, you know, we had youth events, and hundreds of kids showed up, and God was on the move and doing significant things. And don't get me wrong, I enjoyed it. I loved it. I had the time of my life. And all the stories you've probably heard of uh, spitting goldfish and doing relays with refrigerator boxes over you and trips to the ER, they're all true. And I loved it. But behind the scenes, when I'd lay my head down at night, there was also this thought that haunted me. God, is this all there is in life? Isn't there more than just serving you and being good? Because sometimes, sometimes even as a pastor, God can feel distant. And you know, I bet a lot of you have had that feeling as well. In fact, I know you have because I shared a lot more of my story on New Year's Eve and you came and told me that. You know what? I think God brings us all to a point in our life when we ask this question, is this all we get from Christianity? Believing the right information volunteering at church, reading my Bible, and then waiting till I die to really connect with God? So guys, my question for you this morning is this. How do we get more of God in this life? Right now, right here. Not the driving through the mountains with your windows rolled up version. Not the decaf version with the full strength. And the answer, the answer flipped my life upside down. You want to know what that is? It's overlap. That's the answer. Will you say it with me this morning? Let's say it together, okay? You ready? One, two, three. Overlap. All right. Yeah, it's the overlap of heaven and earth. It's the invasion of God's presence breaking into a broken world so that we can experience, we can actually experience a God-saturated life right now. Well, you guys know, you've been on hikes before, right? And you know that sometimes the pathways, they diverge, and there's multiple trails, and you're not really sure how to get to where you want to go. And it's really, really helpful to have a sign that points the way. So that's what I'm hoping this morning is for you. See, I'm on this journey, too, of discovering more of God. And let me point the way from the trail that I've been on. I want to give you four signposts to guide you to more of God, to live the life in the overlap. Now, some of the things that I might share this morning, they may or may not fit some assumptions you've held about Christianity for a long time. So if that's true, I'd encourage you to hang with me. But I'm going to be moving pretty quick this morning, so I've provided some extensive notes on your seat for you to review later. Um, and do me a favor, if you wouldn't mind, pull those out in the pen and follow along. You might, warning, you might need a magnifying glass. That font got a little bit small. But um, so, guys, Brooks, are you ready? You ready to dive in? Let's do this, all right? 
So our first signpost to journeying into this life of the overlap is examine our gospel. Write that down. Examine our gospel. You see, I want to go straight to the gospel because the gospel is the core of everything that we believe. So when I was a pastor here, I was pretty sure that I knew what the gospel was. I mean, I accepted it as a child. I believed it. I could even argue it. And then I ran into the writings of Dallas Willard, this pastor and world-class thinker. And I know he's a hero to many of us here at Brookside. And he asked this really, really interesting question. He said this, what is the gospel that Jesus preached? What is the gospel that Jesus preached? And that stopped me. I had to think about that. And I had to examine the gospel that I believed and then compare it to the gospel that Jesus and the early church had preached. So I went back to the Bible, and I read through the book of Matthew several times, and I tried to do it without any presuppositions. And I was shocked. I was flabbergasted. I had never noticed before that Jesus constantly talks about this thing called the kingdom of God. In fact, it's about the only thing that he talks about. Now, I had Bible degrees, and I had missed Jesus' main message. That's pretty embarrassing. In fact, it's not only his priority, it's his gospel. We see in uh, Mark 1, 14 and 15, it says this, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So Jesus' gospel is about the arrival of this thing called the kingdom. And um, that probably begs a question, right? And that's this, what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God, it's simply this. It's the overlap of heaven and earth. Now, have you guys seen um, the TV show Stranger Things? It came out on Netflix uh, a couple of years ago. And it's set in the 80s, and it's in this town where these weird things start happening. And we discover that the government, it's always the government, right? The government had been doing some testing and somehow opened a portal to another dimension. Now, apparently, these two copies of the world have always existed. There's the one that we know, and then there's this one that's called the Upside Down. And you have the same town and the same houses in both, and it's in a forest, but they're different. Now, the two dimensions had always existed, but there had been a wall separating them. And this portal, this portal now allows the two realities to interact in a way they could never do before. The existence of the portal blurs the line between the two dimensions. And guys, that's exactly what the gospel of the kingdom is all about. Through the death, through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus has opened a portal to heaven so that we can access heaven right now in this life as well as the next. The boundaries between heaven and earth are getting blurred. Now, when I say that, we may need to pause for just a moment because we know what earth is, right? But um, sometimes our thinking about heaven, it may be or maybe a little bit fuzzy. So what is it? What comes to mind when you think of heaven? Well, for me, I think of clouds and harps. And usually the images I have of heaven are, are um, like white and they're really, really clean. Heaven's always really clean. I don't know why. But I don't want you to think of heaven so much as a place that you go as a person that you're near. Let me say it again. 
I don't want you to think of heaven so much as a place that you go as a person that you're near. You see, heaven, heaven is nearness to God and everything that flows from that, that his leadership, his power, his goodness, his resources. But the most important part of heaven is nearness to God's presence. And Brookside, by the way, you know what hell is? It's just the mirror image of that. We see that in 2 Thessalonians. Hell is nothing more than separation from God's presence and everything that flows from that. No love, no goodness. Well, you guys, you guys know what a hot spot is, right? Uh, it's where a Wi-Fi signal is strong. Think of the kingdom as a hot spot of the heaven and God's presence. This overlap, this overlap of heaven and earth has always, always been God's vision. And take a look at the beginning and the end of the Bible. In the Garden of Eden, what do we see? We have this picture where heaven and earth, they overlap perfectly. And Adam and Eve had direct access to God. It says that uh, Adam, in the cool of the day, would, would uh, chat with God. Imagine that, like Adam lacing up his Nikes and taking a stroll with God and having a conversation. And then the last chapter of the, the Bible, we read about a new Jerusalem in the book of Revelation, descending from heaven onto earth. So at the end of time, the picture is not so much God abandoning earth and taking us all to heaven, but it's God recreating earth and restoring man to his original calling of taking care of God's creation. And by the way, guys, what we're doing right now, this life, we're training for the next life. We're training to reign with Jesus on earth. Our destiny is here on earth, but it's also in heaven because the two are going to overlap perfectly. So will we be in heaven? Yes. And will we be on earth? Yes. The gospel of the kingdom announces that through Jesus, a portal to heaven has now been opened. Heaven and earth are beginning to come back together again. It's like Jesus is announcing the grand reopening of earth. And just in case you're wondering, does this gospel of the kingdom include forgiveness of sins? Of course it does. Of course it does. We can't even begin to see the kingdom until we have forgiveness. So much so that forgiveness is sometimes used as a summary statement for the gospel. So the gospel of the kingdom includes forgiveness, but it goes beyond that to announce the arrival of heaven on earth. Well, I know for some of you, this may be um, some new information. So I think at this point, we need to maybe slow down and pause for a minute. So I want us to take a look at this video. I think it'll help. Let's take a look. So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here. There's trees, rivers, mountains. But my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're, they're different in their nature, but here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die, but 
this idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping. Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together, perfectly no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world and so on. But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted God out and we wanted to create a world apart from him. Yeah, so we have these two spaces now. And the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a a clear distinction. So you've said that these spaces can overlap, though. So explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth uh, overlap. Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other was this massive building made by Solomon. And these temples were decorated with fruit trees and flowers and images of angels and all kinds of gold and jewels and so on. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast, because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this? Yeah, the the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible was all of heaven and earth reuniting. Right. So we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now, this word dwelling is really curious. Literally, it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around, hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus and they kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth. But we we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so, so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus. Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die, but that is not the focus of the Bible's story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. Mm. So you see, the big idea is this. Jesus is bringing heaven and earth back together again so that we can experience nearness to God's presence both now and in the next life. So our first signpost to more of God, to experiencing this life in the overlap, was to examine our gospel. And our second signpost on our journey to the overlap, to living in the overlap, is this. Seek it as your treasure. Seek it as your treasure. Now, you guys know uh, what it's like when you, uh, like, misplace something that is valuable to you, right? So I had this gift card to a store here in Omaha that was worth $100. And um, it expired on June 30th. And I had set a little reminder in my calendar the day before. And so I went to look for it. And it's not where I keep all my gift cards. And I had to just like completely tear the whole house apart. I mean, I looked in the junk drawer. I looked in my car. I looked in all the folders. And you know where I found it? I went through all of my pants pockets. And I found it in the pants pocket of a pair of pants that I don't usually wear. But when something is valuable to it, to you, you go after it, right? And that's what Jesus told us to do with the kingdom. He said in Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom. Now the verb tense that he uses there, it's uh, the present tense, which means it's a continual act of seeking. It's not a one and done kind of a seeking. Now I know there's a lot of people that probably think that the main thing about Christianity or the main thing that Christianity has to offer is a ticket to heaven when you die. Now, that kind of gospel, I think, has two problems. First is the payoff doesn't have much to do with this life, right? In many people's understanding of the gospel, Jesus just opened up access to heaven in the next life, not in this life. And you know what, guys? That's a misunderstanding that the enemy would love to whisper to us. Because he knows the consequences of Christ followers who truly believe that the kingdom has arrived. I mean, look at what happened in the book of Acts. When the early church really understood that the kingdom has arrived and they had access to heaven, man, the kingdom and the church just exploded. Well, guys, ideas matter. And ideas matter because they control our actions. And if we think the big payday for Christianity is after we die... If we think heaven only opens to us in the next life, we're not going to seek it very hard in this life, right? 
You see, the mental image that we have of the gospel will control how you experience God in this life because your expectations influence your seeking. And, um, you know, I think that we experience, I know that we, what we experience of the kingdom is impacted by how hard we seek it. Well, the second problem, I think, of viewing the gospel primarily as a ticket to heaven, because that views the payoff as a place that you go rather than a person that you're near. Now, Christianity does have a payoff of heaven, but the payoff is not a place, it's God. God is the prize. And yes, he's really that good and he's that desirable. You know, when some of you hear this, maybe if you'd be honest, you'd say, well, I'm not sure I really want to be close to God. I mean, it kind of seems, the view of God I've had seems like maybe he has his grumpy pants on a lot. And I'm not sure he really wants to be around me because I disappoint him a lot. I keep messing up. I sin. When your image of God is like that, you probably won't pursue him very hard, right? I mean, think about it. You don't like to be around people that you think don't like you, right? And if that's you, you need to really listen right now. Jesus says, Jesus says this, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. Really? Friends? Yes, friends. And as friends, you know, God respects us enough to not force himself on us. He gives us our own space. But he promises that if we really look for him, we'll find him and he'll reveal himself. In Jeremiah 29, he says this, God says, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And then in Luke 12, Jesus says, the Father, the Father is pleased to give the kingdom to those who ask. You see, guys, God is not stingy with the kingdom. But here's a secret. I think he withholds the best parts to those who really want it bad enough to keep seeking. And I think he hides part of the kingdom so that we'll keep seeking and we'll continue to have this joy of discovery. It's not a hiding from you. It's a hiding for you. Now, a lot of you have kids, right? And when Easter rolls around, what do you do? You go out and you hide the Easter eggs. And what's the point? You hide them for the joy of discovery. They hear the squeals of the kids when they find them. Now, if you hide them all out in plain sight, you know, that's no fun. So God is hiding the secrets of the kingdom and allows us to discover them for those that really want to seek and keep seeking and seek it first. So the second signpost was to seek it as, the tre- as your treasure, to seek the kingdom. And the third signpost is to embrace the Holy Spirit. Now notice I said embrace and not just be open to the Holy Spirit. Now most of my life I think I kind of ignored the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus, Jesus is easy to relate to, right? I mean, he's human, we get that. And the Father, you know, that kind of makes sense as well. But the Holy Spirit, I mean, come on. Let's be honest. He, he's described as a dove and a wind and a fire and water. It's just a little harder to relate to. And sure, you know, um, probably some of my discomfort from the Holy Spirit has been uh, because of maybe some people in the past have done some things in the name of the Holy Spirit that are off. I don't know. But you know what? People have done things that are off in the name of Jesus too, and that doesn't stop me a bit from pursuing Jesus. But I've learned that God 
really likes to color outside the box a lot. So let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater and the Holy Spirit. I'm learning that if you want more of God, I need to not just be open to the Holy Spirit, but I need to be actively pursuing him. And I think that's what Jesus would say as well. You know, when Jesus was on earth, heaven was literally on earth in the body and the ministry of Jesus. But then Jesus says this really hard thing. He says that it'd be better for him to go away because when he does, he will send the Holy Spirit. You see, the presence of the Holy Spirit in us is better than Jesus beside us. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says that our bodies, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. So our bodies can literally be hot spots of God's presence, and we are to host his presence and carry on his ministry, Jesus' ministry of bringing heaven and earth back together again. What I didn't realize for the longest time was my posture of caution with the Holy Spirit was actually restricting the flow of the kingdom of God into my life. You know, God's plan is that we experience this overlap in the kingdom life primarily through the person of the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 17 says, the kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit. Now, I built a house about nine years ago, and I... Um, <laughs> I was a little overzealous when I did it, and I created all these landscape beds, and I have gardens and flower gardens, and now I've got to maintain them. And there's constant weeding and watering. And I regularly, if you, you know, go to my house, and I'm outside, and I'm yanking the garden hose around, trying to water something that looks dry. And what, you know what happens, right? You're, you're watering something, and you kind of move and pull it a little farther, and then the flow starts to die. And what happened? You got a kink in the hose. Well, I want you to think of the Holy Spirit as the hose, and it's through him that the Father is giving you the good benefits of the kingdom. You see, when we fail to seek the Holy Spirit, what we also intentionally do is restrict the amount of the overlap that we'll experience in this life. Stuff like peace and joy, and the ability to discern God's voice guiding us, and an inner confidence that he really loves you. And partnering with God in ways that are divinely, like, energized so that what happens, the outcomes, is, goes way beyond your own human abilities. But the main benefit of the kingdom is direct access to God's presence. And that's why we need to ask for more and more and more of the Holy Spirit. You know, in Luke eleven thirteen, Jesus said this, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit who asks? So if we ask God for the Holy Spirit, he'll give us more. We're our last signpost this morning to live life in the overlap is this. Call down heaven in prayer. Call down heaven in prayer. Now, Hopefully, there's some of you here this morning that aren't even uh, typical churchgoers. I'm so glad that you're here. But even if you don't normally go to church, you've probably heard of the Lord's Prayer, right? Maybe seen it in movies. It's one of the most famous parts of the Bible. And Jesus is teaching his followers to pray. And he says this, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
You know the next line? Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. I, I just discovered uh, in some study you know, just a few months ago that that's actually written in the imperative tense. That's like a command. We're supposed to stand with God and call down heaven into the circumstances of our life. See, prayer, prayer is this huge way that we access life and the overlap. Now, the Bible, the Bible says that we have not because we ask not. And I wonder, I wonder if we'd see more life in the overlap if we'd just pray for it. You know, as I was preparing this message, God really spoke to me about my own prayer life. Parts of my prayer life are really strong, and other parts of my prayer life, I think, are pretty weak. And I, I think he spoke to me that I need to grow in this specific area of praying bigger praise, prayers. Because I confess, um, sometimes I lack faith. I doubt God will do big things for me. You know, I think both of us, you and I, probably need encouragement in this. Stories that remind us that this overlap, this overlap of heaven and earth is real. So to encourage us on this this morning, I want to share Julie's story. Now, she's a friend of mine, and she walks with Jesus. And I love her faith. It's simple and it's pure. And she sees no reason why we can't see today the things that happened in the Bible. So she prays for that. And she feels, because of a specific pray that, prayer that she prayed one morning, that an angel protected her. Let's check out her story. About seven years ago, I experienced God's presence protecting me in a miraculous way. I work with a ministry called Global Friends, and every Friday night, up to 120 students pack into my home, and we discover the Bible together. Well, one spring morning, as is customary, I spend time with Jesus. So I thought, you know, I haven't read from my Billy Graham devotional for a while. Let's see what he has to say. So as I opened up that devotional, and it talked about God's protective angels that intervene on our behalf, and I thought, huh, you know, Lord, I never think about your protective angels. Thank you. I wonder if you're going to protect me today. I raised my hand to heaven. I said, Jesus. Thank you as you protect me, guide my life, guard my life. And then I thought, you know, I should call a local policeman to come and talk to our students about how to be safe in Omaha. And then my niece called and said, hey, do you wanna go for a quick bike ride? I said, well, I only have an hour. I have some students coming over. So we threw our bikes in her van, went for a bike ride. When I came back, the students were already waiting for me. So I just, I didn't have time to shower. So I just met with the students and as I finished, I thought, oh, I have 10 more minutes until I have an appointment with my brother. So I unlocked the door for him, ran up to take a shower. And as I was in the shower, a man got off a bus at the corner of my intersection and came up to my home and tried the door. And a woman driving by saw him, stopped her car, and thought, this looks suspicious. So she called the police. Well, the same policeman I called earlier in the morning, he heard the call coming off his police cam, and he thought, that's Julie's house. So he tried to call me to warn me. Well, 
I was in the shower. As I got out of the shower, I heard a commotion, so I looked outside and there were police cars around my house. I thought, I wonder what's going on. I ran downstairs and the policeman was pounding on the door. I opened the door, he said, are you okay? And I said, yes, is everything all right? He said, did anyone just leave your home? I said, probably just some international students. Anyone else? I said, no. He said, is this your jar of coins? I got a little faint at heart. I said, yes, that was outside of the room between my shower and bedroom. And he said, well, he was just wherever this jar of coins were. So I can imagine there was a big angel standing in front of my shower door because the man in the police car was a serial rapist in Omaha they had tried to capture for 10 years. And from the DNA, from the jar of coins, they were able to arrest him. It was surreal. I knew that God had told me that he was gonna protect me. And then when that actually happened, it was, it was so surreal. I was like, wow, God, you are awesome. You are awesome. I'm glad that God used that day to stop that. It was, it was so unbelievable because God's miraculous protective presence was with me. Hmm, wow. What a God thing. Julie called down heaven and received a miracle. And we need to really let stories like that seep into our souls so that we can muster the faith to believe that that could be our experience too, that our lives could connect with the miraculous. You know, Christians, Christians should have an appetite for the supernatural. You know why? Because God's supernatural. And we should want to see impossibilities bow to the name of Jesus. But then we also, we also have to be honest too. Because there's this other side of prayer. No one I know is batting a thousand on prayer. Sometimes, despite our prayers, we go through a really painful thing. And God doesn't take it away. And you get a bad report from a doctor. Your spouse, you find out, is cheating. A friend turns their back on you. And what do you do then? Does that mean this whole thing about the kingdom overlap is just an illusion? No. It just means we live in this tension, this tension of the kingdom already arriving but not fully here yet. Heaven and earth, they don't overlap perfectly yet. So we should expect some disappointments along the way. But let's also remember that when we call down heaven, we will get the best part of heaven, and that is God's presence. And I want to share a story on that as well. So I have this friend, and she went to teach over in Pakistan, teach English. And there was this week she wanted to go over into Afghanistan and visit some people, so she took a, took a side trip. She got a driver and went into a Taliban-controlled area of Afghanistan, very dangerous for Americans, particularly for women. And they were going through a bad part of town, and she really, really needed to use the restroom. And, um, but the driver said, we can't stop here. If the Taliban sees you with the head uncovered, they could kill you. Uh, but she had to stop. So the driver went and got her head covering, found a shack with an outhouse, and she went inside. And as she was unwrapping her burqa, it fell into the pit toilet. And she knew. She knew if she went outside with her head uncovered, she could be killed. So she humbled herself, reached down, 
and got the head covering. And from that, contracted a disease that's eating away at her lungs. Now, people have prayed for her and are going to continue to pray, but as of yet, God hasn't healed. She continues, though, to call down heaven into her mess. And she will tell you in the midst of that mess, she has felt the supernatural presence of God with her. And we need to hear stories like that too, don't we? So that we have faith to believe that in our messes, that God's presence will meet us. Well, another story like that is Pastor Gracious. Pastor Gracious was orphaned as a teenager and had to take care of his younger sisters. There's so many things. That's just a start of his story. We're going to email his video story to you later this week. So what are we learning? We're learning that we need to call down heaven in all the circumstances of our life, the miraculous and the mess. But the reality is, right, we spend most of our time somewhere in the middle. So if you want more of God in our lives, that means we're going to need to invite God into the mundane as well. The mowing the grass, the cooking dinner, the driving to work. We need to seek God's presence in all aspects, in the miraculous, in the mess, and in the mundane. And we need stories on all of those to figure it out. So this week we're also going to send you Christina's video story, who's learning to find God's presence in the ordinary parts of life. So Brookside, how are we doing? You know, you don't want to reach the end of your days and find out that you missed the main point of everything, right? Everything, 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 everything in Christianity is about nearness to God's presence. And are you content? Are you content with the amount of overlap you've got in your life? Do you want more of God? I know I do. Sure, maybe we could settle for the Christian life like I did Big Sur years ago. Viewing God at a distance through your windshield. But honestly, what fun is that? I think there's something deep inside all of us that whispers, there's more. And you wonder if Jesus might be just inviting you to park your car, get out, and hike up into the mountains of his goodness. You know, a really weird thing happened on my hike. When I was approaching the summit, just kind of twinge of sadness started to come. But the adventure was drawing to a close. But then I reached the top. And I got the chance to see over the backside of the mountain. And I saw a whole new world open up. A vast wilderness. With hundreds of miles of trails that I could continue to explore. So I decided to go farther. And I hiked over the ridge and down into the valley with some mountain streams and these huge, giant redwood trees that are hundreds of feet tall and thousands of years old. And you know, the farther I got from the car, the further I went in, the better it got. God is like that. The more you discover him, the better it gets. And eternity... Eternity is going to be this deeper and deeper discovery into the goodness of God. Now, that's a journey I want to be on. Now, some of you have read the Narnia books. It's a masterful metaphor of the kingdom by C.S. Lewis. And in those books, 
a group of children that live in England during the Great War, they find a portal into this magical land called Narnia, ruled by this great lion named Aslan. And it's a land full of adventure and beauty and where the children find they have great purpose, reigning as kings and queens under Aslan. They fight evil, and they're advancing Aslan's kingdom of goodness and love. And then the children die, and they finally step into the next life. And they find a new recreated Narnia. And all the old parts of Narnia that they loved are there, but they're bigger and they're better. And Aslan beckons the children to come farther up and further in. Because every step they take, the land grows better with new adventures that open to them. And that's, that's what we have to look forward with God. Regardless of where you're at with this journey, if you're just starting or if you're deep into the kingdom, the beauty is there's always more of God to be discovered. And the more you get, the better it is. The journey of going deeper and deeper into God's presence. Brookside, I'm so thankful that I had 24 years to journey with you. It's been so much fun. It's been the time of my life. God's given me a great gift. You're the best church I could ever ask for. You've loved me. You've cared for me. And our paths will now take us diverge. But if I could sum up everything into one point, I'd say, guys, Brookside, let's live life in the overlap. Let's coach each other. Let's encourage each other. Let's worship our way into a life that sees the invasion of God's kingdom presence into this broken world because presence is the point. Let's pray. God, we, we look forward to this journey of discovering more and more and more of you. And every step we take closer to you, it only gets better. And Father, I pray that you'll lead us on this, uh, this journey of discovery. Because, God, we want to host your presence. It's in the name of Jesus. Amen.